episode 266 of the Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spore. Joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Eno Saris. Eno, how was your weekend, man? I was great. The family went away and left me. Oh, then I like that. You, so you got a break. That's what you're saying. That's why it was so great. You actually do love your family, but the break is fun. <laughs> so it's always nice to get a little bit of a breather and be able to dive into baseball, which I assume you, you did at least some of. Uh, maybe enjoy a couple extra beers with no child duty. Uh, so uh, I I, uh, I actually got a lot of sleep. That's another key key Mostly. thing is getting the sleep. I imagine that's a huge piece of it. Uh, not something that I deal with myself, but I know my sister and brother-in-law are raising a child right now. She's about to turn two, and yeah, sleep is for uh, mm. non-parents. That is basically what 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 it is. Oh Obviously on Tuesdays. We know you're going to the yard, so we got to dive right in. Got some news to talk about. Uh, Right off the front, I want to talk about Mike Leake, who's not coming back as expected. He was supposed to come back for a two-start week. I feel bad for those who got him in their lineup, uh, but I'm also just feeling sorry for myself because I put him back in my lineup thinking I would get a couple of starts, and now he's not going to return from the hamstring hamstring injury. Uh, Where do you stand on Mike Leake right now? Obviously, he was having kind of a great run as he was traded to the Giants, had a couple good starts for them, but now he's he's not going to return, um, and it's kind of unclear when he's going to return. Vogelsong will take his spot. Where do you stand on League? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be in an American League team uh, considering signing him or anything. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> he's, uh, he should he's kind of amazing. He should stay in the NL only uh, anyway because of his uh, his ability to hit. You know, if I was an AL team, I think you're taking away a little bit, and it's small. It's not it's not game changing. I don't necessarily think, but it can change a couple of games. So I would want him to be in the NL anyway. But yeah, he has a, he's a pending free agent, which is another uh, kind of interesting wrinkle here as he can't get back on the field uh, to kind of finish up this season before his free agency. So I feel bad for Leak in that respect too. Yeah, they traded for him. You know, the only effect that there is really when it comes to free agency years, because a lot of people talk about, um, oh, he's, you know, he's going to play his best because, you know, he's about to uh, he's about to get a new contract. Uh, They they haven't really been able to show that um, as an effect, but they have been able to show a slight effect when it comes to plate appearances and and innings pitched where uh, a player will stay on the field more uh, in order to get that better deal. And, um, you know, I think that's uh, something you can see a little bit more readily. So given that the Giants traded for him for this stretch run, they want him out there as much as possible. He's a free agent, so they're not really, um, you know, tied down to him next year, even though people think that they're going to try and resign him. Sure. And that he's in this, um, this contract year and he wants to get out there. Even though they're saying there's not a, no setback, it is kind of a significant thing that, uh, A, they didn't just push a start, um, and B, that they're even missing the start to begin with. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So I hear you on the with the free agent piece. If they don't plan to resign him, they'll be like, let's just get him back on the field and get some starts here. Uh, we'll see what Vogelsong can do against the Cardinals tonight, but I imagine that the the shift from Leak to Vogelsong will take folks from maybe not wanting to use their, their St. Louis Cardinals to actually using them and maybe actually stacking them up. Uh, next up, I want to talk about a piece actually that I wrote today uh, on Starling Marte and his power outage. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Dino, but it's been two months just about, uh, you know, when you factor in the, the all-star break, it's been just about two months worth of games. And Stoney Marte has one home run. This is particularly significant because just before that, that run started, it started on June 10th. On June 9th, he'd hit his 12th home run of the season, and Marte was on a 35 home run pace. Now, I don't think anybody expected that to continue, but it has really um, – tapered off quite substantially he had a 38 percent homer to fly ball rate through through june 9th and he has a three percent since then so he's almost been as bad as he was good uh in terms of the luck factor with the homer to fly ball percentage so he he should probably even out the rest of the way but what do you make of this this odd season that stony Marte is having well i mean one of the things that, that occurs to me is just that um that power is one of those things that we we like to have huge samples for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why, uh, you know, in your piece, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the just enough, uh, uh, home runs that he had. And, um, 
you know, so I think the just enough, just that, that, you know, that analysis is great. Uh, sometimes it ignores that, like, uh, that, that fly balls are a continuum, right? And that, um, you know, if you just look at home runs, then you're cutting off the, the long fly balls that, mm-hmm. that create the opportunity for just enough. So that's why uh, sometimes I prefer to look at batted ball velocity, uh, batted ball distances. Not necessarily that they're uh, a much better stat, but because you're at least looking at at a continuum of numbers there. Um, but in any case, I think that Justin Huff does a really good job of pointing out how power can really be manipulated by, I don't know if you want to say luck, but like by the, the winds and arrows of, of outrageous fortune, like the, the, the fact that one homer might be a Justin Huff homer and one homer might be an out against the wall. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that would change your ISO dramatically. So um, it is kind of weird how he did it. But then when you look at, you know, his numbers within the context of his career, now they look much more normal. I mean, now he's got uh, an ISO that's basically exact, almost exactly the same as, as his career number. Uh, his home runs for fly ball is, you know, slightly inflated uh, compared to his past, but not, um, not ridiculously so. And, um, you know, nothing really looks out of place right now. Maybe it looked out of place then. Yeah, uh, the, and the way it's why. added up like you're saying, yeah. has not looked up. And to your point on the batted ball distance, a commenter mentioned that his fly ball distance for Marte is still 29th in the league, so that might help him uh, sustain maybe a little bit better homer to fly ball rate than you would expect, given that he doesn't hit a lot of fly balls. He's only at a 21% fly ball rate. That was really the crazy thing for him this year, is that he wasn't hitting a ton of fly balls, so he needed that exorbitant homer to fly ball rate to really have that run. But now you're looking at 20%. That's not that crazy for a full season. Again, it's just the makeup of it, and he isn't hitting the ball as hard as he did last year. So it's just kind of a weird season for Marte, and the fact of it is I didn't write it to necessarily uh, knock him and and suggest that he's having a poor season or anything. He's still having a fantastic year. He's the ninth-rated outfielder on ESPN's Player Raider. Uh, So, you know, add it all up, it's still good. I think that the projections of four more homers the rest of the way, though, are, are really where, you're, where your line should be, uh, and you really shouldn't be looking for too much more than that because, uh, you know, again, he was on a 35-homer pace earlier in the year. Didn't really think that was going to hold, but I'm sure a lot of folks thought maybe something in the in the 20s would have been uh, reasonable for sure, and now he's probably looking at 17, 18, which is still a career high for the 26-year-old Marte. Yeah, I think I would be careful with uh, looking too hard at home runs per fly ball, and I think Marte does a really good example, does a really you know good job of showing us why. And you know, for example, uh, Marte is 15th in the league in home runs per fly ball. Uh, you could go screaming saying, "Oh my God, that's ridiculous! He doesn't have the 15th best power in the in the league. That's going to regress." Blah blah blah. Uh, you know, Albert Pujols, who is 16th, um, uh, you know, has much more power and, and has hit a lot more home runs and. Uh, but then you would, you know, there's a little dot, dot, dot there, and you say, oh, uh, Albert Pujols hits twice as many fly balls. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are going to be guys whose home runs for fly balls numbers look inflated because they don't hit a lot of fly balls. Like, number one in the league in home runs for fly ball is Pedro Alvarez because right now he's hitting two ground balls for every fly ball. Um, you know, do you, like, do you think he's a natural talent, 30% home run per fly ball guy? Probably not. Uh, but, you know, do you think that his power that he's shown for the season is that far off? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, like, that's... certain things happen. Like, Jose Abreu, we've talked about how many ground balls he hits, and he's still hitting a lot of ground balls, but, you know, he still has good power, and his home runs per fly ball rate looks high, you know, you know, compa- but then you look at he only hits 30% fly ball, so... You know, it's it's kind of one of those stats that I think you really have to you you really have to look at um, in the context, especially of their fly ball rate. I think we you see know, this. Uh, sorry, I, I was going to say I think we see this a lot with pitchers too. If they have an exorbitant homer to fly ball rate, uh, some folks might just assume that it's going to come down. Oh, he can't have a twenty percent, especially because he's not really a fly ball pitcher, except for the fact that when when he when he when it is a fly ball for somebody, and I'm thinking of Matt Shoemaker in particular. I believe this was more of last year, but uh, you know, when he does allow a fly ball, it's usually a meatball, and that's why he has such a – yeah, it's actually this year, 14% homer to fly ball rate, even though he was more of a ground ball guy uh, up until this year. 
I think that sometimes it can be misleading for pitchers too because you're like that that home run fly ball rate has to come down except for the fact that their pitches that that induce fly balls are the bad ones and they're more likely to leave the yard anyway. Yeah, I think there's actually been some uh, uh, some evidence to show this. Uh, I know that sort of semi-anecdotally, um, you know, a sinker baller, is, you know, is throwing a ball that has a trajectory downwards at the plate, and they if they if they reach if they meet a guy who's matching that plane with a you know kind of what you would call like an uppercut or golf swing, um, then you know there are going to be moments when those two things match up uh, in a in a bad way. And, uh, and I've seen, I, I can't remember now where it is, but I have seen analysis of, of sinkers, you know, sinker ballers having slightly inflated home run per fly ball rates. So even though when I looked at sinkers themselves uh, giving up more home runs, I, I couldn't necessarily find the, the effect. But if you, look at, if you look at the leaders for home runs per fly ball rate, there's a lot of sinkers in there. I mean, uh, for one, Brett Anderson, with his 19% fly ball rate, has a 15% home runs per fly ball rate. And I think that's, you know, exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Waldo Jimenez, um, you know, same sort of deal. Um, and uh, Mike Leake. So, you know, there's some guys up here with uh, nice ground ball rates that, um, you know, are giving up a, a few more home runs than you'd expect. Um, and, you know, sometimes I would look at the home runs per game, you know, and, and, try to like be a little bit simpler about it you know yeah just just see what what, what kind of homers they're, they're giving up uh or hitting you know obviously we, we, we shifted kind of the pitchers there uh to make that same point i want to talk about another guy who is probably frustrating the living hell out of his fantasy owners right now uh because it's felix hernandez and he's got a 365 era that was really pumped up by a 10-run uh, a outing in Fenway on Saturday. This after uh, you know already having an, a third of an inning, eight-run outing in Houston earlier this year, and uh, seven earned runs against the Yankees. I mean, this is three just awful, awful outings. He gave up seven against Arizona uh, a little bit earlier too, but that was more of a bad first inning and then kind of a bad last inning and, and good in between. These other ones are just utter shellackings. Where do you stand on Felix? And then I guess the big, big question that, that folks are wondering right now is, do you think he's hurt? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a piece up on this tomorrow. Um, but um, right now I'm going through the game logs. And, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, you know velocity peaks in, in August. And, which, I think uh, whether, so, which I think would surprise a lot of people. Yeah, uh, you know, it has a lot to do with the weather. Yes. And, um, and I think that there's also, um, less, uh, it seems like peak, uh, performance time in terms of you, your body is at its peak and then, you know, you start to get more fatigue stuff in, in the final months. Um, and you don't necessarily, and there's no adrenaline as much, you know, whereas October sees a boost in, in velocities because they're all, they're all pumping the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so August, he should be seeing the the best you know the best velocity of the year, and uh, he had been seeing a, a little bit of a boost. Uh, but in this last game against Boston, um, he saw his fourth worst uh, velocity of the year. So that's that's just this year. Now look, let's look at all like post April um, starts of his career, and uh, you see other than this year, you see one year, one game. Uh, where he had as bad velocity since they've been uh, since they've been tracking this in oh, wow. his career. Wow. So um, you know he's already uh, he's already doing something you know that he's never done before there. And then you look at uh, you know Josh Cock has the injury zone uh, predictor stuff and and when he and he before he got hired by the the, the Rays and um, <clears throat> uh, if you look at his release point. Uh, it's, it was not only is it is it has it been getting worse recently, um, you know, in terms of uh, it's been dropping and um, it's been uh, more inconsistent, which was that's the Josh Kalk thing is that uh, he looked at both inconsistencies overall and then inconsistencies late in game. And in both of those cases, uh, the general trend for Felix is that he's become more inconsistent and more inconsistent late in games with his uh, with his. Um, uh, release point. So now you've got two of the four factors pretty, pretty strongly there. 
Um, the uh, one of the fa- one of the, I actually that's three of the four. The fourth factor is strike zone percentage, which I guess is kind of like you become a nibbler when um, when you don't um, when you when you don't have your stuff when you don't feel good. Which makes sense. And, you don't want to get crushed. Uh, you know his zone percentage in that last uh, this year is about the same as last year. It's not that different, but. In that last start, he went from about 45% to 42%. So, you know, not a huge deal, but that means that, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, like three, four, five pitches that instead of, you know, getting in the zone, you know, that's a small sample, but it's, you know, indicative of, of where he was that day, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, it was a really bad day. And you could just call it just a really bad day. But when all four of these factors line up, and I haven't yet looked at, um, you know, his release point um, in the context of like his entire career. Uh, but I can tell you that his release point in that game um, was lower than it's been, you know, for a long time. I, I, I see something like five years ago where there was, there were some inconsistencies that were this low, but uh, his, his arm slot has dropped lower. And you can actually see it in the movements, um, you know, because arm slot has a big deal when it comes to to um, to movement. He's actually gained some some drop on his sinker, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, the fact that his arm slot has gone down. So, and then you know the movement in that in that specific game, um, the sinker was flat, um, the changeup was flat. And uh, and uh, the slider and the curve were both uh, pretty flat compared to their normal things. So um, it just really looks bad. It's really bad. And it's not. And, you know, everybody went on the on the TV and stuff talking about how, oh, they shouldn't have left him out there because he's their ace and you shouldn't let your ace give up 10 runs. And I don't I don't care about any of that. Yeah, I say you shouldn't have let him out there because he looked hurt. That's that's the piece. Not not to protect his ERA or or anything like that. It's a, he doesn't look right. Get him the heck out of there immediately. So yeah, yeah, there's some concern about Felix for sure. I don't think that you know you you uh, I kind of wrote off that that Houston one thinking ah okay you know he'll bounce back and and he basically did. I mean he's he was he was mostly sharp uh, from that point forward. In fact, he bounced right back with eight shutout innings against San Fran in the very next start. So that really uh, assuaged a lot of the fears that people had. But his next six, seven starts for Felix after that one-third of an inning, eight runs in Houston, was a 151 ERA for 48 innings. Then the Arizona game that I mentioned happened. But again, that was more of a bad couple bad innings as opposed to just an utter shellacking. He gives up 11 hits, four runs in Coors. You kind of discount the 11 hits there. And then Texas, he was pretty good. And then this start. So that's the thing, too. It's been kind of up and down down at the same point yeah and i think you know a lot of the just the arm slot if i saw my pitcher out there you know uh pitching about two ticks lower on the gun um with the weird old arm slot and uh and you know just crazy release point differences within that game um you know i just uh i, I would i would say go get him i mean there's no reason all right let's move over I mean, in terms of I mean, what do you what do you do in fantasy? I mean, oh, I mean, a lot of our trade deadlines have gone have gone past. Yeah, and and you can't sell him after this, anyway. Uh, you can't. But I think you know if he survives, I think it might be a good idea uh, to sell him this off season. You know. Oh yeah. There's more smoke every year. You know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think if you have him in a dynasty at this point, I think you do have to start looking toward. Uh, moving away, even 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 though he's you know quote unquote only going to be 30, I mean look at the innings that have piled up and and it can go so quickly. So I would be worried about Felix in the context of the future. I wouldn't be surprised again if he bounced back after this after we saw you know b- based on what we saw when uh, when he, when he got crushed before unless he is of course hurt and just comes out and they say listen we're going to have to put him down. So uh, <laughs> not, 
I didn't mean it like that. Put them on the shelf is what I meant. Not take them out back, old yeller style. Sorry, sorry, Felix. I'm not. I'm not killing you off. I love. That, by the way, don't don't you just hate when when guys that you really like watching just get crushed? I've always enjoyed watching Felix pitch. He's awesome, so great, and just watching him get hammered like that. Obviously, this is how I feel uh, too often when I'm watching Justin Verlander too. It's like God, I just what what what's wrong? Why can't you make it better? Um, I'm sure you feel that way with Cece since he seems to be one of your boys. Although he's pitching a little bit better of late um, when he's not over at Toronto nightclubs starting fights or or getting involved in fights but i would obviously i don't i don't think i'd even bench uh felix at this point i don't think that even this start even with some some doom factors that you outlined that obviously we'll get him to more in your piece tomorrow i still feel like you have to keep him out there every start but i agree with your piece about the long term if you have him in what's it called in, in dynasty then you might look to move him yeah. All right. I want to jump over to the St. Louis outfield because it is a bit of a treacherous situation right now. Uh, and it happened in like one fell swoop in the matter of about 24 hours, really. Uh, they went from having, you know, pretty solid outfield. They still don't have all their pieces, obviously. Matt Holliday's been on the bench for a while, but Randall Gritchick, Jason Hayward, and Stephen Piscotty were kind of getting it done. All of a sudden, Randall Gritchick gets hurt with an injury, uh, shoulder injury that's going to put that put him on the DL. And then Jason Hayward leaves yesterday's game with a hamstring injury. So just like that, two thirds, the best two thirds of their outfield are ailing. We don't know the status of the hamstring tightness for Hayward, but uh, sorry, it was an elbow, not not shoulder for Gritchick. P- pardon me on that one, but uh, it's still a DL injury. Now they're out two-thirds of their, their outfield right now. Again, we'll see if Hayward is going to play again on uh, on Tuesday. But what are you doing with that outfield, and who's going to benefit if Hayward has to miss time and in lieu of Gritchick's miss time? You know, I, <clears throat> it's got to be Piscotti, right? I mean, Piscotti, uh, well, what's-his-face? Uh, saying what's-his-face really helps people. I know that. Thomas Pham? Uh, Thomas Pham was called up. And Peter Burjos came into center field when Hayward went out because Hayward actually started in center field for that game. So anyway, that, that's the situation now. It's guys like Tommy Pham, Stephen Piscotti, and Peter Burjos stand to benefit from a pure time standpoint. But who do you think will, will, will make the most of it, I guess, is the real question. Well, you know, I think that Hayward's probably uh, – it's only day-to-day, and they do have uh, a decent amount of um, – of, a decent amount on the line. I mean, it looks like they're way out in front, but uh, in terms of winning the division, they, they really want to do that. Absolutely. Uh, it's, so, it's so crucial. So uh, I think, you know, Hayward will probably miss two, three games or something. I mean, they, they said it's only tightness. It's not a pull. Uh, so that means that Hayward is, is you know, at least uh, part of the solution out there. Um, you know, don't know. I guess that leaves two slots open for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that the best defense belongs to uh, uh, Peter Bor- Borjos. Borges? Borges. Borges? Borges. 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 Borges like Borges? Borges. Um, Borges. Gorgeous. Peter Borges. Gorgeous Borges. Uh, is not that gorgeous with the bat, unfortunately. No, not. Uh, but uh, he's got the best defense, so I think this is what he was groomed to do is come in. And, I mean, his defensive numbers on the year aren't great, but those are small sample stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know why John Jay's look good right now, but um, he doesn't look good when he plays defense. So I think it'll be some sort of combination of Borges and Jay in center, Hayward on the right, and Piscotti in left. And, uh, you know, I did tell some people to trade uh, Stephen Piscotti away because, you know, I didn't see necessarily that there'd be a lot of playing time for him. And I thought he's, he's a little over his head when it comes to, you know, his bad ball stats and, uh, you know, he finally he did he has hit a homer and a triple which keeps his ISO up but otherwise I, I remain a little skeptical about his power so um, you know I I thought uh, he was a, pr- a prime sell high candidate now uh, he's got a little bit more of a run at least he's probably a regular uh, but um, I don't see him you know there's no impact number in his peripherals like a swing strike rate is worse than average so I don't think he's necessarily going to you know make as much contact as it is in the minors. Um, you know, his walk rate's been up and down. So, you know, maybe he's a, a, an on-base percentage guy. I, you know, with the, with the kind of success rates he has in stolen bases in the minor leagues, I doubt that the Cardinals are going to have him run. 
And uh, so then you're just uh, you're, you're mostly hoping for a couple of homers and a decent batting average. Um, it's more than I would expect out of Fam. I mean, Fam is he's an old guy. Uh, you know, even though you haven't heard of him, he's 27. Yeah. Old. old relative to some guy who's just yeah. coming up for the first time, who's only played 20 well, games in in the majors. Important, very important. If you look at his AAA numbers, not only. Uh, was he 27 and 26 in AAA when he hit 325 uh, combined with, uh, you know, 30 stolen bases and 16 home runs? Wow, that all sounds great. He was 27, so he was about two years older than everybody. Uh, you know, that means more physically adept and also more, also third time, second and third time through AAA. Bingo. So that's a huge you know, factor, too. You've seen all these guys. The first time through AAA, he hit 260, you know, with a, with a 104 ISO, you know. And all the way along, he's he's struck out. So uh, he struck out a decent amount, decent walk rate. You know, it's not to say he couldn't, you know, come in and be okay or even catch a little fire because he's in his peak right now. Uh, but it is not the kind of package that you would bet on or really look for in a dynasty league or a uh, keeper league or whatever. You know, it's the kind of thing that you pick up for a dollar in NL only. <laughs> Uh, when everybody else is looking to pick up like Borges or something, and you yep. just pick up him and you say, "I'm pe- I'm spending less than you, and I'm hoping that I get just as much out of my guy." Because you know, honestly, when it comes to raw stats, you know, not as long as you're not center field, you need a center field eligibility. Uh, if Fam does, you know, if they do play Hayward in center once his, his hammy is fine, and they think that Fam is a better bat than Borges, they've done stuff like this before, and. You know, Fam's bat could play, especially in a small sample, could play better than um, Borges' uh, bat. So there's like a, there's a little bit of, of daylight for him, but uh, not a lot. We have breaking news. That's my breaking news sounder. Uh, it's not good, unfortunately. It's not good breaking news. It's that uh, Michael Franco could find his way on the disabled list, uh, likely to be on the disabled list with a wrist injury. Suffered a bruised wrist after he was hit by a pitch last Tuesday. Didn't look good. Uh, now it worse. says fracture. He's oh god! Out. Oh god! Yeah, see, I'm only, I'm only the, my latest news. You got even more breaking news. You have to do your sounder if you're going to give better <laughs> news. There you go. It's fractured. It's fractured. <laughs> so that's awful. Uh, he, Michael Franco was having an amazing season. Uh, was just playing so well. Uh, that that's just such a crusher. Even if you don't have him, you just bummed when a when a bright young star like that, uh, potential star, I should say, you can't really name him a star just yet. But uh, when somebody like that falls off because of injury um, and, and getting hit by a pitch, no less, that's just a huge bummer. It does bode well. You know, we have to talk about who kind of benefits from this the negative side it does bode well for cesar hernandez who will continue to get full-time playing time now even with chase utley back so using that as a jump off point to talk about this cesar hernandez kind of uh dream season here that he's having it's very weird he his his obp and slugging are are eight points apart nine points apart 354 and 363 but he's hitting 281 with 18 stolen bases so you, that's what you're going for you're going for speed and, and maybe some some average uh slash obp i keep f- thinking that the league will just start pitching to him saying you can't do any damage here so you're not going to get walks yet he continues to draw walks where do you stand on cesar hernandez now that he's back into a full-time role you know like a d gordon light i think uh that's the probably the very upper reaches of his stratosphere um i guess they would like to own i'll go i'll go punch myself in the face i'll I'll see you later Ill down my back. Uh, sorry, <laughs> nice. that's, that was good. No, that was great. Don't ever apologize for that. That was great. Um, you know, I, I, the one thing I would say is that D Gordon makes more contact. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, that's one thing. Also, another thing I'd say is that I think D Gordon has really um, was it refined the slap hitter approach and has taken it to uh, a, and an incredible level that, you know, Cesar Hernandez hasn't quite gotten to yet. Sure. Uh, I mean, if you look at his pull-oppo center, uh, Cesar does spray it to everywhere, but D is more like, I'm going to go the other way until I'm forced to pull it. So, um, and in terms of soft, medium, hard, uh, Cesar Hernandez looks much more like the league average where D Gordon is like, sometimes I'm going to do a swinging bunt because that works for me. So, um, and I don't know that necessarily uh, Cesar Hernandez has the, the, you know, the, the standout speed um, of a D Gordon, um, 
you know, but maybe he does. I mean, 18 and, and a half a season, uh, you know, in 2013, he had 32, 33. Um, you know, he had everybody had like 50 stolen bases in high A, so never mind that. But uh, <laughs> well, uh, when coming up this year, uh, the, the minor league work that he had this year wasn't terribly impressive because he was only eight for 15. So the 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 double A and triple A catchers had his number or the pitchers were just very quick that he was trying to run on. So that probably wouldn't have given you a lot of hope, but now 18 for 22 as a major leaguer. And again, much better than that eight for 15 in his minors before that year, but just look kind of weird. So it's probably just a small sample situation, but yeah, he's, he's been, a, that's eight, 18 for 22 in, in 102 games. I can deal with that. That, that definitely works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I just don't know, you know, the, 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 the batting average on Baldwin play has been high for his career so far, and, and he, you know, at least he doesn't pop it up like ever. Uh, in fact, that's that's maybe the best part of his of his uh, batted ball outliers that he just doesn't pop it up. Um, and I think he might even do that better than D. Gordon. So uh, he doesn't pop it up. He has a lot of speed, uh, no powers though. So you you ding his Babbitt a little bit for that. And um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'd say that I would. More of a true talent, 260, 270 hitter, whereas I'd, I'd be more likely to give D the benefit of the doubt a little bit with the batting average. Sure. But, uh, to, you know, today's game, you know, 260, 270 with 30 steals, um, ownable in every every league. That's the thing. And if you can get him still, which you might be able to because <clears throat> Cesar Hernandez was not somebody who was aggressively picked up. I've actually seen him more used in DFS uh, in the DFS landscape than being picked up in season-long leagues. So check your wire. And he might have recently been cut because of the return of Chase Utley. So that's that's another reason to bring this up because the Michael Franco injury opens up the playing time for him. Uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the Boston outfield. J- Jason and I covered Jackie Bradley Jr. specifically, uh, but I do want to get your thoughts on him. He's obviously having kind of the best week of his life recently with the, with the bat. But now that Hanley is back, or at least was back yesterday, they've got kind of four guys for three spots with Hanley Ramirez, Mookie Betts, Ruznick Castillo, and Bradley. Bradley Jr. has the defense. We know that. Uh, Castillo sat for him yesterday and Bradley played. But how do you see the playing time shaking out? And then specifically tell me what you think of Bradley and how much of that that surge that we saw has legitimacy behind it. It's weird because, you know, because of Betts, they're, they're playing Bradley in right. And, you know, his I think his standout tool is, is defense. I don't think I'm— 100%. You know, saying anything that anyone's really surprised by. <clears throat> I think I would, if I was Boston, I'd really be playing him uh, in center, um, just to showcase him. I think because you know the real thing that we just finished talking about how you want big samples for power, and if you if you take away the power, if you take away two of, of Bradley's four home runs so far, um, he becomes a much worse hitter, like a, just a you know, like a not a great hitter. You know, like he, he might walk. Yeah, he might walk, but he's probably going to have worse than average um, power. Isn't really an asset on the base pass despite his speed. Um, and uh, so you're talking about like kind of a empty OBP. You know, yeah. people talk about an empty batting average. This one's going to be an empty OBP, uh, except for the defensive part. So I'd be playing him in center and, uh, and trying to convince somebody that he's an everyday center fielder, really. Uh, because I don't think center is really a, a problem for the Red Sox. And, you know, pitching is, and, you know, somebody could take a center fielder for a pitcher. So Everything I'd be else playing is. Him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everything I'd be but. Playing him, I'd be playing him in center and, um, you know, just tell Betts that he's super valuable and, you know, they want to they, tell him something, lie to him. Tell him that they're, they want him to work on, you know, reading roots from left and, and right. Just, Whatever. Just, just say, hey, man, we're in charge. How about that? No. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, we were going to give you a reason for this, but we're not. So just go play left. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it breaks down. I, I think your point, by the way, you know, kind of kind of played out perfectly for you yesterday in terms of saying empty on base percentage. He was 0 for 1 with two walks and a strikeout yesterday. Was Bradley Jr. So that that's kind of exactly what he is. I want to get your quick thought because Jason, and I didn't really have anything on on Travis Shaw. Uh, neither of us have really seen him. His first base, quote unquote, prospect, and there's not usually prospects from there. And so, of course, as we were kind of like, eh, we don't really know anything about him. He goes out and hits a home run last night, his fifth. Do you know anything about Travis Shaw, and what, what's your outlook on him for the rest of the year? Is, is his power legit at all? 
Well, he didn't show good power in AAA, but he has shown good power in the past. And, you know, there there are park factors at play here. <clears throat> and <clears throat> he's a, a, a he's kind of he's a pull guy with a fly ball swing. Mm-hmm. And I think he can be a like a platoon outfielder and a platoon first baseman. I think he can be a lefty that can you know, tee off on righties a little bit. He's that, He's got that sort of prototypical golf lefty swing um, that, you know, he can he can take things on the outside corner and actually hook them. And, you know, anything that's, that's um, you know, in at all, he, he likes. So, um, you know, he, he makes a decent amount of contact. And the, right now they're showing, they're, they're playing him mostly against righties. Um, and I think that, he might actually have the chance to stick next year in that role because they don't have a they don't have a um, a first baseman, and um, they may not want to spend the money there. You know. Yeah, that that that's true. I mean, because first baseman will generally cost a lot. We'll see. They could do a lot of maneuvering. By the way, I'm not saying it's because of our podcast, but now I've been hearing the Hanley Ramirez to first thing floated out a little bit more. <laughs> eh, eh? Who, who's first on that with Mr. Eno Saris? Uh, so I want that credit out there for sure. By the way, the, the guy, and look at that. Hanley Ramirez just fractured his testicle on a ground ball. <laughs> on a throw to first base. He's out for the season. <laughs> Nobody would have thought of that would happen. Who could have possibly seen that happening? Fractured <laughs> testicle. Oh, that sounds very painful. That would happen to Hanley, and then his helmet would fly off. Something <laughs> like that would definitely happen. Even playing first base. Yes. First off, like, he was, he's doing the John Olerud. Yeah, I was going like to say, why is he wearing it? He's like, nah, I really like – I love John Olerud as a kid. I don't need it. I'm not mocking him, but I am going to wear it. And then it would definitely fly off every time he went to cover the bag. <laughs> Let's talk about the guy who Shaw hit that fifth homer off of because it was the only damage that they got uh, on this guy, Danny Salazar. He got his 11th win in a very solid outing, seven innings, the one run, four hits, five strikeouts. Um, now 11-6. and six. We don't care too much about win-loss record, but he's get, piling up some decent wins on that poor team, so that's definitely helping his fantasy value. And everything else is in check now, too. This is seven straight gems for Danny Salazar, and, and I mention that specifically because he seems prone to the blowout, uh, blow-up, I should say, because often the home runs are there. Um, and, and we're not seeing the home runs in the same frequency he still usually usually allows one per game, but it's been, it's been a solo. In fact, all three of his August starts, it's been the only runs that he's given up. A uh, solo shot in all three starts, and he's been pitching brilliantly. So, But we're avoiding the multi-homer games or the catastrophic home run. What do you think of Danny Salazar? I know you like him. Uh, can we finally buy into this, or are we going to see another blow-up at some point that, that you know craters his ERA, and now that he has it down to 316, he'll have that bad start that bumps it back up to 340. And and uh, or can we finally see some consistency here to where maybe his quote unquote poor outings are closer to uh, a baseline quality start as opposed to the four innings, six runs, four innings, seven runs kind of stuff that he's done with some regularity this year. Well, one thing that I see when I look at him is that uh, he started to use a sinker more. And, you know, I, I think that's probably legit. I mean, um, it's kind of, you know, when, you, when you're talking about four seams and sinkers, it's, um, it's uh, sometimes hard to, to, to believe. But um, because they're, they're very similar pitches, actually. I don't think, I'm not sure that people know this, but the, the difference between a four seam and a sinker is probably about two or three inches of fade and maybe an inch or two of drop. So it's very hard. Some systems, actually, even on our website, just decided not to um, – not to differentiate between the two, uh, and not not to try basically. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, you know, it's it's possible that it, it isn't that. But if you look at um, the vertical location of the pitches, the the sinker is actually um, uh, showing up lower in the zone. So even if it's just more four seamers that are lower in the zone, I think both of those things are good because he's had a homer problem and. It is nice to get those whiffs up in the zone, and it does set up your changeup and the curveball and all that. But, you know, finally has a league average ground ball rate, finally throwing a sinker, I think, finally throwing, you know, lower in the zone a little bit too. Um, all of that to me says that, you know, some of this 
um, this not giving up home runs business, which I think is behind uh, a lot of his uh, his breakout so far. I mean, you know, in August he has given them up, but I think July was a bigger sample, and, and June and July both of his home runs for nine numbers were down. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think that a lot of that has to do with, you know, his, his change in mix, uh, his change in philosophy a little bit. And I think, you know, eventually um, really getting to know that curveball, he's still hanging in some. I mean, if you look at the vertical pitch location for his curveball, for some reason there are some really high curveballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if he's doing that on purpose. He wants it to look like a high fastball. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it just sort of like, you know, sort of, you know, hits a high curve instead and, you know, just misses their bat. Maybe he wants to do that. But, you know, the high curve is traditionally called the hanging curve. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, uh, so I think, uh, you know, once he really settles down on the curveball and gets that sinker in, I think we'll see even better than what we're seeing right now with Danny Salazar because, you know, with a great curveball, <clears throat> comes great with a great curveball and a good, <laughs> and a good sinker, he could have like a 50% ground ball rate and, you know, an 11% swinging strike rate and, you know, a strikeout per inning. I think like the best version of Danny Salazar maybe has a couple fewer strikeouts, a couple more ground balls and, you know, a 0.7 type home runs for nine. That'd I mean, I think that's so still, dirty. That'd be such a that good would still be possible because you, you have to remember where he pitches, yes. you know, and he's 20, he's 20, he'll be 26 next year. He's just 25 years old. He's still getting his feet under him. He's only got 300, uh, position player. hasn't been pitching his whole life, you know, Tommy John surgeries. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of reasons to think uh, he can still improve. I, I, I completely agree there. I do love Danny Salazar. Um, I just get so frustrated when he has those blow-up stars because they come with no real rhyme or reason. It's not uh, don't play him in these parks, don't play him against these teams. It's it's when when he's hanging pitches and they're ba- bashing him out of the yard, it's trouble. And and even when he's on, he can still allow a homer or two because he'll he'll challenge a guy and be a little bit off, and and they'll send it back the other way. But uh, Danny Salazar's on one right now with these seven straight. Uh, high quality starts I, I say high quality because most of them are well beyond the six innings three runs in fact only one of them is that uh the rest are, are again way beyond that so 145 era and 50 innings of work over his last seven for danny salazar um last guy we're talking about and then we'll talk a little bit about your piece for today cole hamels was better in his le- most recent start with the rangers but he has obviously hasn't been great for them just yet uh, do you think this is trade transition stuff, hamstring stuff, or mixture of the of the two? You know, obviously things are going to be a little bit harder for him in in the new in the new position. And there's you know whatever you know kind of velocity stuff that he was going on uh, was going on. He was he was gaining velocity in uh, in Philadelphia. You know that's that's continued with Texas. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, he's he's still pumping 94, 93, 94. So, you know, I don't I don't see like, you know, a big drop in velocity like, oh, I finally got traded out of Philly. Now I'm going to, you know, shut it down a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I, would, I would nothing like that. I don't think I, th- I think a lot of it is the or, or even like or, or to be honest, like a groin thing or whatever. Still, you know, I don't see uh, a big difference there. Um, you know, the batted ball. I mean, the, the, the pitch. Uh, the pitch mix selection has changed a little bit, um, you know, and I think we might have been able to anticipate this. Fewer sinkers, uh, more four seamers. That's that's Texas. That's what Texas is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, they want the strikeouts, and and, uh, and they I guess they don't um, they don't feel the need as much for the uh, for the um, for the ground ball. You know, and then you know, talking to, to to players, they definitely tell me that um, you know you have a lot more command of your four seam. Um, so I I don't think I'm not worried, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I'm not really that worried either. I do think a lot of it is actually the kind of like a trade transition. I mean, going to brand new league um, park isn't necessarily all that all that different in terms of both both can be tough on pitchers. I, I don't really worry about that. But again, brand new league, brand new team. And they were talking about this a little bit on MLB Network, and I think it's a decent comp because a lot of times when you try to make the uh, real-world job comp with, with with athletes, it doesn't really work. You know, like, oh, I, I can't do that. I can't go up to somebody and punch them in the face at my job the way that that guy punched Geno Smith. And it's like, well, you can't really do that at any job. That's why he lost his job. But, but um, they did make a point about, you know, 
when you get a brand new job, are you perfectly, you know, uh, great at it right when you step in day one? Do you feel 100% comfortable? And it's like, no, not really. You do have to have a little bit of a transition. So I, I think that is a lot of it. You know, you move clear across the country, join a new league, uh, you're thrust into this playoff situation. It can be a bit much. Now, a lot of guys do flourish right when they get with their new teams, but I'm saying when somebody doesn't, it doesn't automatically mean that, A, it was a bad trade or you should kind of get all over them. It's been, you know, a little bit of a rocky start for him, but he's still striking out a batter per inning. Um, he's still gone seven and two-thirds, six and seven innings in the three starts for Hamill, so it's not like he's getting killed. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he'll be fine, too. I completely agree with you there. Let's wrap up on your piece today for the change. You did velocity, gainers, and losers. And as always, I'll just kind of let you have the floor. What did you set out to find, and what were some of your key findings from the piece? I uh, just really wanted to see who was gaining and losing velocity. You, you should have more gainers than you did because uh, velocity peaks in, in August. So, you know, on the on the small side of the list uh, of gainers, guys like Chris Tillman, um, and Jordano Ventura getting a mile and a half, um, you know, you are expected to get about a mile, you know, 1.1. So that's not a big deal. I did think it was uh, a little bit more uh, important for Chase Anderson, not only because uh, he gets out of the below average velocity into uh, above average velocity, but because he just come off the DL. So, um, you know, Chase Anderson, maybe something was bugging him, maybe something was hurting him. He goes on the DL, he comes off of it, and he's and he's got better velocity. He's had two starts, he's come off the DL, and velocity for specifically four stars coming off the DL, um, you know, stabilizes very quickly. Uh, you have to throw a lot of fastballs, uh, you know, in two starts. So he's he's probably already thrown 100 fastballs since he came back, and they averaged you know 92.6 when he was averaging. 91 um, last year in the beginning of the season. So uh, I think that could be a potentially uh, a, a big turnaround for him. A little bit more velocity makes that change up play up better, uh, makes the curve play up better, and maybe will help him get some of those strikeouts back. So I like that. Matt Latos is, uh, you know, got his gain was just part of, you know, getting healthy as well. Uh, and it's something that uh, you saw over the course of the season. And then, you know, I, I struggled with uh, the importance of it with relievers uh, for the most part. I mean, sure. like Aaron Sanchez was was uh, was starting and, you know, he went to the bullpen. It's nice that Greg Holland got his velocity back, basically. Um, Ryan Madsen looks healthy. Mark Lowe is healthy again. You know, these are just relievers, really, that, that um, you know, get healthy and, and, you know, have small samples anyway. So, but uh, Eddie Butler... Um, was 92.7 last year, 93 to begin the season, uh, and is now up to 94.9. Um, so I don't know what he's doing, uh, but he's definitely, uh, you know, you know, throwing the ball a little bit harder these days. And then on the other side, uh, you know, the, the, the wet blanket side, um, you know, you've got a lot of guys who, who had some rolls up in the air. Um, uh, you, you know, Michael, Michael Lorenzen, I don't know. I think he did. Uh, do a couple uh, relief outings. I'm not sure, but um, you know he is transitioning from the bullpen, you know, in college. So it's not too surprising to see him have trouble keeping that velocity up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, noted uh, starter Ike Davis. Uh, <laughs> never, never knew what was going to happen with his velocity anyway. But uh, the big, the big one that stands out for me. I mean, there's two. James Shields dropped a mile an hour. Um, and you know, his home runs are out of control and Chris Heston, you know, dropped a mile an hour, 1.3 even. And, you know, velocity was part of the reason why nobody knew about Chris Heston. And then he, you know, put on a mile or mile and a half of of velocity with some extra weight and, uh, some health behind him. And now he's kind of lost that again. So, you know, maybe that velocity is good enough to get him enough of a running head start that he's going to be he's going to be fine. But he hasn't been as good recently, and I think you're seeing much more of what Heston's going to be like uh, recently, which is, you know, ground balls, uh, good play in certain parks. Um, you know, not necessarily going to get you a lot of strikeouts. Not necessarily a mixed leaguer, I don't think. Okay. Who who sticks out as as uh, interesting to you? Heston, uh, Shields, uh, Chase Anderson. 
Shields was the one that that really stuck out to me uh, because I can't figure out his season at all. It's been so bizarre to me. You know, the strikeouts are up, but everything else is kind of down. You talked about, you know, kind of creating the perfect Danny Salazar by taking a little bit of the strikeouts, putting it, you know, dispersing it elsewhere. If I could create a better James Shields, I would have I think I would take some of those strikeouts away and kind of disperse them elsewhere. I wonder if there's not a bigger weirdness going on with San Diego because all their pitchers are having kind of weird years. But then to see him kind of have the velocity drop too, I worry, well, is that going to take away from some of the strikeouts? Because if I don't have the strikeouts from James Shields, what the heck am I getting with a 389 ERA and a 130 whip? So that he stood out to me immediately as someone to be a little bit worried about. And on the positive end, Jordano Ventura has intrigued me a little bit since his return. He hasn't been all great or anything. It's not like every start has been good. In fact, a couple of them have still been kind of the poor Jordano. But watching him, I've liked him a lot more since the return. And, and again, I say a return, but we got to be kind of careful with that. He never – I don't even know if he got to Omaha in time. Uh, I think he had to stay down there for uh, the custom – isn't it 10 days that you have to stay down there? But he was back so fast because the injuries that they were dealt that he barely spent any time uh, – uh, in AAA, but he's had some really good outings since coming back, and the strikeout piece has come back too. So I imagine that the velocity is related to that. He was probably the, my my uh, the best name that I saw in there that I was most intrigued by uh, of the gainers with Jordano Ventura specifically. Yeah, you know, and I, uh, you know, what it looks like to me is that he, you know, there was. A fire lit under his buttocks. That, that, and that's I completely agree. I said that too when, when it happened and that he came back and uh, he started looking better. I was thinking, you know what? Just knowing that it can be taken away, even though it really wasn't taken away all that long from him, just knowing that they don't think that, hey, you're not automatic. We're not going to keep you up here no matter. You've got to perform. I think that that really did work. I, I, I completely agree with you there. And like I said, it doesn't mean every start has been great, but maybe it changed his focus. And he's saying, listen, I got to stop being a bit of a clown here and and, and not messing around like this. In fact, uh, by the way, back to the point about uh, his send down. I don't think he needed to stay the customary time, right, because, because of an injury. Is, is there a stipulation? Because usually when you send a guy down, he has to stay down there for 10 days. I don't think that there that he was even down for ten days when uh, when he was sent out for Ventura. But since coming back, three ninety four ERA, twenty only twenty five strikeouts. But that's because two of the starts were pretty bad. The other three have been really good with strikeouts. Eight and seven in his last two outings. That's in f- uh, thirteen innings against Detroit and L.A. So I'm I'm changing the tune just a little bit on, on Ventura when I was way off of him earlier this year. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know. Why he doesn't have better strikeout numbers? That, that's, yeah. I can't figure why they're not more consistent. Because yeah, since since returning, quote unquote, five, two, three, eight, and seven. It's like how I know that the two and three were against Toronto and Detroit, but uh, you know this is a guy who should who should be having at least four or five every single game, even on his on his lesser games. But uh, I think he's still kind of working to put it all together. Again, we talk about the youth of Danny Salazar. Uh, Ventura is a year younger too, so he's still he's still trying to figure it all out and maybe get his head right too. So uh, another name that you mentioned, Chris Tillman, because this was a guy I loved coming into the year as as a, just a steady rotation component. I wasn't saying get him as your frontliner or anything, but put him at the middle or back end of your rotation, and you'll get a quality 200 innings. Well, that's not going to be the case no matter how he finishes unless he does some Carlos Carrasco epicness uh, into the finish line. But he's been much better lately, and I'm, I was glad to read that the the um, velocity's up and, and kind of backing up some of his gains too because Tillman was so, so brutal for the first couple months of the season, not just a little while. He had a sixth ERA as late as um, June 21st. After, after a Toronto start, he had a 6.22 ERA. But since that start, actually, he's all the way uh, – he got 2.13 ERA in eight starts with, with only one really ugly start, and that was at Seattle. You know, I actually uh, did an interview with him recently, and I, I feel like, um, you know, 27 – I feel like next year could actually be one of his best years ever. And the reason I say this is because, you know, this was one of – this was, I think, you know, the second he, he's going to enter the third act in a way, mm-hmm. because the first act was, why can't this guy with great stuff 
um, do it in the major leagues, right? Yes. And he had he had two years with uh, with uh, the Orioles where, you know, it just wasn't working out. And it was I a think, nightmare. Yeah, it was a nightmare. And I think, you know, one thing you'll see is that those first two years of the Orioles, he didn't get anywhere near the pop-ups that he's gotten since. In fact, if you take those two years out, he looks even better with the pop-ups than he did back then. So, um, you know, I think that on some level, you know, we didn't get to this in the in the in the in the discussion, but on some level, he might have uh, figured out how better to use his rising fastball than um, you know he did, you know, those first couple of years. So, um, you know, I think that that was a big deal. You know, figure out how to use the rising fastball and also at the same time um, that curveball, sort of that combination of um, uh, of pitches, because it's not a something that I think a lot of people are, you know, used to seeing the, 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 that kind of rise and how to use it best. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, maybe, you know, pitching coaches were just telling him, you know, pound the bottom of the zone. And then at some point he was like, uh, no, I'm going to try to throw it higher in the zone. And, uh, and so then he had, he had like a good run of excellence of three years. And then this was the first time he really struggled since then. Right. Yeah. And, uh, then, you know, as soon as he struggled, you know, to his credit, he went out there and added a new pitch. And he really, I mean, he really basically hadn't really thrown the two-seamer before this year. And Pitch FX doesn't even show, show him throwing it now. But Brooks caught it, and, you know, to their credit, and, you know, talking to the pitcher, he's like, yep, I'm throwing a two-seamer. Uh, so if you uh, look at his ground ball rate, best of his career, and, you know, if he can pair those two, I don't think there's a lot of people out there. In fact, I can't think of a guy who pairs a rising fastball with a with sinker. With a sinker. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't think and of one either. To 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 the the negative side of this is Tillman himself uh, agreed, and it's in the numbers. Um, the the rise on his fastball has been, a little bit, has been a little bit less since he threw the sinker. So it's cut, so, it's cut a little bit of that effectiveness then. Yeah. So you know, I'm not sure he can do this, but and if he does. Then you're talking about like Phil Hughes, the sinker. Um, you know, let me get my rise ball article up here because uh, the rise ball guys are all the guys who, um, you know, have bad ground ball rates but still have good um, outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, rise ball really, uh, the rise ball list is really, I got to read this one because Sam Fold pointed it out to me and I was like, oh my goodness, these are great pitchers that everyone kind of, you know, looks past. Was Fold in uh, the baseline when he pointed that out to you? Or was, <laughs> was he out? I, I, I'm referencing for those that didn't watch the the game yesterday. Uh, he was called out on a pretty lame uh, baseline call there on a bunt because by the time he reached the base, I thought he was perfectly within the baseline. But anyway, that was just a stupid joke. And, and everybody does that where they that, sort that, of that, run. And, and they, uh, I referenced MLB Network earlier. I'll reference it again because I watched a lot of it last night. They showed, you know, how hard it would be to be a hundred percent in the quote-unquote proper baseline after a hit. It's just awkward based on where he was when he when he dropped the bunt down. He just went perfectly straight and he veered his way back into the quote-unquote proper baseline. So yeah, I thought that was a kind of a lame call. But what what, what did he tell you about? What did fold fold so he just eliminate? Said you need to look into rising fastballs because. I don't think people respect those as being um, equalizers in this game. Chris Tillman, number one fastball rise in the sample when I ran it. Marco Estrada, Drew Smiley, Sean Doolittle, um, Travis Wood, Danny Duffy, Annabel Sanchez, uh, Jared Weaver, Colby Lewis. Interesting names, uh, by the way. You're right about those names that they have – Often have good results, but it, it can be a little bit shaky underneath. Jay Happ. Oh, wow. Wei Yin Chen, you know, Justin Verlander. I mean, it's Hector Santiago, Chris Young, Cole Hamels. I mean, it's 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 a great collection of pitchers. And they all had uh, almost double the pop up percentage of uh, of uh, of the national sample. So, mm -hmm. you know, what you're talking about then is, yeah, you know, he doesn't have great swing strike rate stuff, but he's going to be like the Chris Young, basically. Um, of, of pitchers because he's going to be a guy who has a rising fastball just like Chris Young. He has a better breaking ball than Chris Young. Uh, and then he's going to add a sinker, which Chris Young has, you know, doesn't really take advantage of. So, you know, he could, he could be one of these guys next year that strikes out, you know, 6.1 guys 
per nine, walks 3.0, and has like a 3.2 ERA. Yeah. And everyone's going to say all year, oh, he can't do it. This is ridiculous. You know, this is still Chris Tillman. And you're going to be like, uh, no, dude, tell me. And oh, tell me any of those guys on that list that throw a sinker. Oh, yeah. I can't think of a one who consistently throws a sinker. In all of those names, none of them are, are sinker guys. Wow. Maybe uh, Nick Martinez is on the list, but uh, yeah, but he's Nick uh, Martinez. Yeah, who cares anyway? I mean, it's I just mean, even if even if one or two do throw a sinker, I mean, it's a long list of guys who don't really throw a sinker. Yeah, so. they, they'd be the exceptions exactly. So if he can manage it, it's a trick that hasn't been done, hasn't been pulled a lot, and I think it would be. Uh, the the like the dips breaker. I mean, the defensive independent pitching says that you know that these guys can't control balls in play. But if a guy could get consistently get ground balls, weak contact, and infield fly balls, he would be, you know, he would kill dips. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I think that's about our time. You got to get out to the yard and and kill it out there. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday to talk more baseball. Until then, take care. Yes, yes, gotta go.